You are listening to the Amateur Church Podcast, where we pursue excellence in ministry with the right motivation for the sake of love. I'm Pastor Matt, and I'm so thankful that you are on this disciple's journey with me. As we continue through the book of Esther, uh, I want to share with you, I'm uh, recovering now from uh, strep throat, uh, doing a lot better than I was even yesterday, and got a shot and all that good stuff, and uh, uh, hopefully on the, uh, you know, definitely uh, on the mend and, and doing a lot better, uh, no, no longer contagious in any particular way, but uh, just thankful that I've got most of my voice back. I'm not up to 100%, but I'm getting there. Uh, And so this uh, episode will definitely be longer than yesterday's, but uh, maybe not as long as usual. I do want to preserve my voice as much as I can, especially for uh, tonight's service. But uh, our reading through Esther has been very, very enriching for my life and encouraging. And the way that I've even read it this year, um, reading through the book of Esther, has helped me uh, look at our modern world and our culture uh, from from a different view or from from maybe a, a, a more enhanced apologetic view. And that's our focus for today, apologetics. How can we defend this text, the book of Esther, apologetically. Uh, we are told in First Peter chapter 3, I repeat this uh, a lot, uh, that we are to give a defense for the hope that we have in Christ, an apologetic. And the book of Esther is a picture of living a life for God. And I want to turn your attention to Esther chapter 2, uh, looking at verse 5. Esther chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, introduces us to this young woman. And and, uh, look at these verses. It says, Now there was at the citadel in Susa a Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the captives who had been exiled with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had exiled. And he was bringing up Hadassah, that is, Esther, his uncle's daughter. For she had no father or mother, and now the young lady was beautiful of form and face. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. <coughs> and so what we see in this passage is we see a uh, a man and his, um, his cousin, Esther, uh, whom she uh, looks at as a, in a fatherly role. We see them living in a pagan culture, and yet they're going to stand for God and uh, and the people of God. And this is a, a picture of living a life for God from the Old Testament of what you and I could actually see going on as, as believers today in Jesus Christ, that we are in a culture uh, where we uh, it, it is not cool. It is not uh, acceptable. It is not looked well upon now to to live out your life for Christ. Now, I want to be very clear. Uh, I'm in the Bible Belt of, of America, and so uh, we don't face as much persecution as other parts of the world. Uh, and yet, living in the Bible Belt, I have seen that it's really easy to call yourself a Christian in certain places because that uh, that seems accepted. But it's very difficult to live out Christianity, even in the Bible Belt, true Christianity. And I want you to get the difference for me, is that some people call themselves Christians, 
and that just simply means they go to a a, a church or an assembly, or they, uh, they their family would they had a family member who was Christian, or a political leaning of what they think Christianity might be. Uh, and and I want to remind you that calling yourself a Christian is not the same as living out a Christian life, uh, a being a follower of Jesus Christ, being a part of the way. And so when when we talk about living even in a postmodern world uh, of which uh, of which many define that uh, being a, a place where we don't uh, have absolute truth or we don't recognize absolute truth that everything is relative it is a lot harder today to live out your life of Christianity if uh, in in whatever culture you may find yourself in because uh, there is no uh, absolute truth in certain people's lives. And so so Esther is a picture for us of a, of a girl, her, her cousin, Mordecai, growing up and seeing that there is one recognized king who has authority in the land of Persia. And now, how do we navigate in, in the midst of this, uh, trying to stand firm for God, even in the face of death? And so I want you to, to notice just a few things uh, today based on our reading. First, <coughs> she did grow up in a pagan culture. She grew up in a culture that did not promote the Torah, that did not promote uh, the, the sacrifices, that did not uh, follow the law of God or uh, a experience life in the temple or even tabernacle and promote those things. We, we see that as a very, uh, um, as instead of being an influence for her uh, in, the, in Israel, during the times of uh, of Joshua and Judges, and uh, during the times of First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, where they were in Israel, she's living in Persia, in uh, in in Susa, and she is not surrounded by all of these godly uh, godly things and elements of a Jew's life. And this is very important for us to remember, especially in this uh, in in this particular story that she continues to devote herself to God and her people, even in a pagan culture. And so uh, uh, as we begin, understand that when we live uh, uh, lives of apologetics, defending our faith and and declaring the word to others, that sometimes uh, this means that in a, in a foreign place or a culture that's, that may not honor God, we are still called to be the light uh, and the salt in that area. And this can be across the world. This can be in uh, America. This can be in the Bible Belt. Your uh, foreign world or uttermost parts might simply be your school or maybe your job where they do not honor God. And uh, Esther grows up in this, or Hadassah, as her Jewish name is, grows up in this. And and consider for a moment the teaching that Mordecai gives, the, the faithfulness that he has in training her in a Jewish mindset in the midst of a pagan culture. Second, when she is chosen to come in and be the queen, she experiences access to the pleasures of the palace. Now, no longer is she just a Jew in um, in hiding in uh, Persia, but she is now on the uh, displayed for all to see on the front line and she has access to the pleasures and the seductions and the things of the palace. She can do uh, 
within reason, whatever she wants to do, and she can forget about all the things of God. And, and so I want you to consider the shift in her life from being where many would say in the valley or in a desperate place where she's a Jew in Persian. That doesn't mean she had a bad life. It just means we do know she lost her father, her mother, and, and she was not free to, uh, to celebrate her Jewish culture. But then we also see now that from one end of the spectrum to the exact opposite end, now she's a queen and she has pleasures and, and experiences and all these things that any person would love to have. And she still does not let that take away from her Jewish identity and her walk with God. So I want you to see this. It is in her humble state and in her honored state. It is in her um, time of, uh, of, of not having much to now having everything and much more than she could ever desire. And, and in both of those settings, in both of those extremes, she still chooses to serve God. This is a good picture for us, a good example for us of how we should live. Some of us, we may never experience the fine things of life that many experience and, and all the money or power or prestige. Um, and, and we may be on the opposite end of the spectrum and, and we're always struggling financially or whatever that may be. Are you going to honor God in your lack of resources? And then there are others that you may be experiencing anything that you want. You may have grown up with that uh, and and you're able to, or you may not have and, and worked hard to earn that. And so you're able to experience great things. And my question is, are you going to, uh, to honor God even in your abundance? Paul would write in Philippians uh, 4, he says, I have learned to be in, in, in plenty and I've learned how to live in need. I've learned to be abased and I've learned to be uh, in abundance. And, uh, and, and in this, we need to honor God. And so she experiences access to the pleasures of the palaces and yet rejects those things. Listen to this. Uh, when you get over into chapter uh, 6 and, uh, or chapter 7, and she has her plea before the king and shares what's going on, she chooses at that moment to reveal herself and stand with her people rather than to sit in her palace. What a beautiful picture of a love for her people where she, she stands with the people and says, I'm a Jew and, and the decree king that you have made will kill me and my, my, my kinsmen, my, my brothers, my sisters. And so in this, she Esther becomes a picture of a life willing to lay down her life because she loves her brothers and sisters. And ultimately, because of this, in chapter uh, 9 and 10, we see that she brought life and protection to those she loved rather than luxury to herself. How do we live apologetic lives, lives of defense? We want to bring life and protection to those we love by being honest with them, by sharing with them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll see this in tomorrow's episode, but uh, the, 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 the most loving thing you can do is show someone the pain that they're going to experience or the sorrow that is, that is coming, the doom that will, uh, that will affect them. And Esther does that. And, and so in this, we find a beautiful, uh, story of how God uses this young Jewish woman to save not only herself and her uh, and, and her family, but her entire nation. 
And God divinely ordained for such a time as this, divinely ordained that she would leverage her position and leverage her life for salvation of her people. Now, think about this, though. Esther's not the hero of the story. Mordecai is not the hero of the story, but Jesus is the hero. You say, well, Jesus isn't even mentioned. God's name isn't even mentioned. Uh, No, but the gospel shines forth through this. Consider there was a God-man who experienced access to the uh, the the realm of heaven, pleasures and uh, and experiences that we could never imagine, and he gave it all up so that he might come to this earth. He chose to stand in the midst of a sinful, wretched people rather than to sit in his palace. He chose to die for his people than to remain in a soul divinity. He chose to save us and bring life, protection, and joy to us rather than to experience just the luxuries of his own uh, of, of his own divinity. Philippians 2 reminds us that Christ being God gave up his seat in heaven for a time so that he might be with us. I love uh, I love that thought that that Jesus Christ would empty himself, and come to this earth and become obedient even to the point of death, the death on a cross, so that he would be given a name that is above every name, that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. So the book of Esther points us to an even greater royalty, Jesus Christ himself, who is our hero. And that's why we can live growing up in a pagan culture today. We can live for him. As we close out today's episode, uh, I want to give you our ministry moment, highlight a particular ministry, and the ministry I want to highlight is that of uh, Brother Pastor Dr. Timothy Keller. Uh, Dr. Timothy Keller has been an influence on my life uh, as as, uh, I've listened to many of his sermons, read most uh, of his books, and he has definitely uh, poured into my life this past week. He uh, passed away. And uh, and has gone to be with his Savior Jesus Christ, and his family rejoices, and yet uh, is saddened over his passing. And he has definitely left his mark on Christianity. Uh, just a little bit of background: uh, Tim Keller planted Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City in 1989, and uh, they would see over 5,000 people each week come and. Uh, and and serve through that church and through the ministries uh, that he set up, Redeemer City and uh, City Hope for New York and Redeemer Counseling Services. Um, he stopped being the senior pastor, I believe, in 2017, but continued to serve through the church and, and through what they were doing. But he has started over a thousand churches in over 150 cities and trained uh, what what uh, many have said over 79,000 leaders through his work. He's also uh, authored uh, some books that I love, especially uh, the one of the most important books I've ever read was The Reason for God. <coughs> and it uh, I've got it on my shelf right now. I, I've been encouraged by that. The Prodigal God 
and the meaning of marriage or a couple of other books. Um, and and he has authored, I believe, over 30, I think 31 books is what his obituary said. Uh, I've not read every single one of them, but almost every one uh, has, uh, has made an impact on me. And so I want you to pray for his wife, uh, Kathy, and his three sons and his daughter-in-laws and their children, and, uh, and really just pray for the church and pray for uh, those that will take up his mantle and what he is, uh, what he has done in, in New York City and throughout the world. And I don't agree necessarily with everything that he's ever said or, or different positions he's taken. But I'll tell you this, I look forward to the day where I'll get to see him in heaven and tell him thank you for the impact he made on my life. He lived a life of apologetics, defending the faith and declaring the gospel. And so may we do the same by looking to our Savior, Jesus Christ. I love you. I'm praying for you. Stakes in the ground.